This is Josh Sumby, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Egg Services in Drayton, North Dakota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Egg Services, providing solutions for your success. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Tyler Donaldson and Whitney Pittman. Soy Transportation Coalition Executive Director Mike Steenhook recently returned from Central America for a Soy Transportation Coalition board meeting. While there, the board was able to see firsthand how drought issues are impacting shipping. Uh, last year, 600 million bushels of U.S. soybeans transited the canal um, in which vessels are load, loaded in the Mississippi Gulf and then they eventually are going to customers in Asia. So that Panama Canal is a really important link in the overall supply chain. And so it's really important for the farmer directors on the Soy Transportation Coalition Board to be able to understand and see firsthand these various links in our supply chain, including the Panama Canal. Uh, the canal is getting a lot of attention uh, currently due to drought conditions that are impeding the operation of the canal. Um, most prominently, it's resulting in the limitation of daily transits. Steenhook says they were able to see what uh, was missing from goods moving, though. We did see container ships full of consumer goods going through the Panama Canal. We saw an LNG vessel go through the canal. We saw an automobile carrier, a couple of them. Uh, go through the canal. So those kind of vessels are still transiting it. But what we did not see are dry bulk vessels. And those are the ones that transport soybeans and grain. And when you're having to limit the number of transits per day, you, you, you tend to have to reserve those limited slots for the, the higher paying customers because there's a toll every time you go through the canal. The tolls are adjusted based on the type of cargo that's transported. And other headlines have been adding to the problems for ships trying to find alternative routes. Agriculture is kind of, when it comes to the Panama Canal, it's kind of on the outside looking in due to those limited number of transits and slots that they have available. It, it is a real challenge for us and it's having to resort to agricultural shippers that are based out of the Mississippi Gulf to consider the, the Suez Canal, um, which is not a real preferred option right now, but people are having to resort to it. You know, the Suez Canal is experiencing a lot of terrorist attacks right now on some of these vessels when they're along the Arabian Peninsula. And so that's a real flashpoint as well. Railroad crossing closures in, earlier in the week at two Texas border towns are raising concerns about the broader impact these closures could have on the American economy. U.S. Wheat Associates President Vince Peterson says that the effects are being felt on both sides of the border. Our exports to Mexico are probably in the neighborhood of 150 million bushels a year, just a little bit shy of that. About 70% of that moves by rail down to Mexico, and uh, that does a couple of things. One, the industry in Mexico has made investments into their own receiving capabilities for rail. They've built terminals and uh, rail car distribution centers down there. They buy wheat from the United States in sort of just-in-time inventory management systems. And so when you interrupt a border like this, two border crossings, uh, that's not everyone that, that crosses down there, but it serves a couple of major areas and concentrations of our customers. Wheat and other commodities are also directly impacted. These are two of several border crossings down there, and, and it will impact different, different commodities in different ways. Probably if you're talking feed grains and oil seeds and those, that's a little different. But, but wheat is you know, something that's, that's not, not going to be finished in an animal you know, six months from now. It's going down there. It's going to be processed relatively quickly. 
going to be food on the table and tortillas and bread and confectionery, all those things in pretty short order. So for those regional areas that are, are being uh, interrupted by, by these two border crossings, that's, that's a pretty big deal in a pretty short period of time for them. American Sugar Beet Growers Association CEO Luther Marquardt is pleased with the EPA's decision to create new guidelines around the use of chlorpyrifos following a Supreme Court decision. EPA's own science repeatedly found that there were at least 11 high-benefit safe uses of chlorpyrifos, which included sugar beets, and it's also alfalfa, soybean, uh, spring and winter wheat. So, as you know, farmers rely on, on these pesticides like chlorpyrifos to protect crops from destructive pests and maintain important conservation practices, and that's really important today. Congress has established clear science and evidence-based processes to ensure that the tools can be used safely and that they will not result in harm to people or the environment. There are still some important considerations in Minnesota. When EPA revoked the tolerances, Minnesota did not renew the registration for chlorpyrifos. Manufacturers that have existing registration should be able to re-register their products with Minnesota, considering that Minnesota's justification was based on the EPA tolerance revocation action. This issue is between the state of Minnesota and the registrants when they ask for reinstatement. Now, EPA will begin the rulemaking process in the new year, and as part of that process, it will review tolerances and mitigation requirements based on the Endangered Species Act and other federal requirements. Minnesota Representative Michelle Fishbach is one of six lead authors on a letter sent to Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. Nearly 60 lawmakers signed the letter voicing disappointment in the recent dispute settlement ruling on Canada's dairy tariff rate quota allocations. Fishbach says she will not give up on the issue and is asking the Biden administration to find other options to ensure fair market access for U.S. dairy products north of the border. A storm system is expected to bring rain and snow to parts of the northern plains late this weekend into Christmas Day. World Weather Incorporated says a zone of freezing rain and sleet is possible along and near the border of the Dakotas and Minnesota, causing some travel delays. The northwestern portion of, northern, of the northern plains will miss out on the storm system and remain dry. Follow along with us on social media. Find the Red River Farm Network on Twitter and Facebook. Podcasts and more are on our website rrfn.com. Reporting agriculture's business, you're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Argentina, southern Brazil, Uruguay, and Paraguay are expected to see favorable weather over the next two weeks. World Weather Incorporated says enough moisture is expected to stimulate aggressive crop development. World Weather says center west <clears throat> Excuse me. Center-west, northeastern, and northern-center Bra uh, Brazil crop areas may have to deal with erratic rain for a while, but there is growing confidence of better rainfall as we move into the new year. Well, marketing market analyst Wayne Bussey says uh, rains in Brazil are weighing on the soybean market. We broke some support, which is a actually a head and shoulders neckline on the March contract at 1310 today. When it broke that, got some sell orders hit, kind of accelerated down almost all. $13 and 
trying to come back just a little bit now, but that's because of the rains in Brazil that are starting to happen now. And actually, probably more importantly, next week's forecast shows even heavier rain. So it's not going to be drought busting, but you know how the weather markets are. When it starts to rain, the markets wanted to sell off, especially when there's a forecast for rain, too. And the livestock markets are buying time. Until we know more about cash cattle trade this week and an important cattle and feed report at the end of this week, too. Uh, on feed is expected to be over 100%, but placement's around 96 and just a little bit worried placements might be a little bit higher than that. But, you know, still good news. I, I think we ran out of fun selling last week. This market has started to make a bit of a V bottom, but how high of a retracement level we can make on this market is probably actually going to depend on fundamentals a little bit. We need the cash market to come higher now. Uh, the cash feeder cattle market already has bounced very nicely, some really good sales earlier this week. Midwest Market Solutions President Brian Hoops says soybean traders are taking some weather premium out of the soybean market. Rain in the forecast um, is going to maybe shrink some of those dry areas or at least stabilize those areas. And that is enough to put some pressure against the soybean market. You know, we've had a really strong week of export sales this morning, uh, a private sale announcement earlier this week, but only one. So, you know, I think the market's trying to anticipate that uh, Maybe the crop has been hurt a little bit in Brazil, but with all this good rain in Argentina, they're going to have a monster crop much larger than last year. Brazil might have a smaller crop than last year, but it's you know still going to be uh, one of the biggest that they've ever raised. The livestock markets are positioning ahead of Friday's USDA reports. Seems like the futures markets is anticipating a, a bullish cattle and feed report on Friday. We have a host of reports, cold storage. Cattle and pig, quarterly hog and pig report, all out after the close tomorrow. Um, looks like the um, you know the beef market cutout value is not improving very well. Um, the exports numbers this morning not a great number. So the fundamentals remain pretty sloppy. I don't know that we're going to have higher cash trade, but a steady cash market this week I think would feel like a victory. Um, it'd be kind of friendly for the market after what we've seen in the last several weeks. A, Tur a Turkish-based farm equipment company has an agreement to purchase 97% of the shares in Bueller Industries in Manitoba. Bueller Industries is now owned by a Russian agricultural manufacturer and is behind the versatile tractor and Farm King equipment brands. The acquisition is valued at the U.S. equivalent of $45 million. USDA's weekly export sales report for the week ending December 14th showing combined old and new crop corn sales 1.014 million metric tons. That's 28% less than the previous week, 33% less than the four-week average. Soybean export sales a whopping 2.13 million metric tons. That's nearly double the previous week and 56% more than the four-week average. Wheat export sales at 326,000 metric tons are down 78% from the previous week, 51% less than the four-week average. Grant applications for drone detection of palmer, amaranth, and other noxious weeds are still being accepted by North Dakota's Agriculture Department. The deadline for applications has been extended until February 2nd. Over $275,000 in funding is available for the program. This program targets sugar beet and soybean fields in Trail, Cass, Richland, and Barnes counties. BASF is launching 25 new products and label extension in 2024 and 25. BASF Marketing Director Brady Spangenberg credits an investment in research and development. Uh, globally, uh, BASF spent um, a little over a billion dollars 
in R and D in 22 and have maintained that level in, in into 2023. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. The University of Minnesota Extension is partnering with NDSU for their annual research update for ag professionals. U of M small grain specialist Joachim Wiersma is encouraging those interested in attending to pre-register for the events taking place on January 3rd at Owatonna, Minnesota, January 4th at Wilmer, and January 11th at Crookston. Uh, instead of the 15-minute talks with just four speakers, we're actually going to go to a much shorter talk of just 30 minutes, but that left room for a number of additional uh, researchers to share their latest research findings. So the lineup will include Claire Keane talking about biological uh, and corn. Uh, Fabian Fernandez will talk about nitrogen fertilizer use. Ashok Chanda will go... Uh, a little deeper into some of the sugar beet disease management uh, beyond Sacospora. This year's update will include will also include some new and familiar faces. Fei Yang, our new extension entomologist at the University of Minnesota, will talk about the ongoing uh, development of resistance uh, of European corn borer and corn rootworm in BT corn. Uh, Lindsay Pease will give an update on the crop residue label, uh, levels and nitrogen availability in strip-tilt sugar beets. And Ian McCray will give a retrospective about insect problems in 2023. And I'll talk about uh, what I've always talked about, which is the hardware springweed variety update. Checking markets before we leave you this noon hour. We're seeing March wheat Minneapolis down two and a half cents, seven fifteen and a half. Chicago March is three higher. Kansas City March wheat's two and a half higher. March corn three and a quarter higher at four seventy three. July's up three. January soybeans down nine cents at twelve ninety nine. March corn, uh, soybeans down twelve cents at thirteen oh three and three quarters. January canola is down a dollar a metric ton at six forty seven thirty Canadian. February live cattle down a dollar thirty five at one six. The January feeder's down 205. That's at 222 even. February hogs are 50 cents higher. Thanks for joining us. This is the Red River Farm Network.